You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. In marriage and in the home, I really believe anger rivals lust as a killer of marriages in the home. Now, let me give you a little bit of a sense of relief. Everybody gets angry. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to get angry. Did you know that? Be angry. Gives us permission right there. Be angry, but sin not. Everybody gets angry. The Bible says we ought to handle it wisely. Here's what Paul said, quote, go ahead and be angry, but don't stay angry. In your most intimate relationships, what causes the most strife? It's safe to say that for most of us, the hardest trials come when we are the most angry. Today, Pastor Jeff explains that even when your anger is justified or you need to let off some steam, God's grace is here to deliver you. Don't let rash emotion be the demise of relationships you cherish dearly. Like all emotions, anger isn't bad, but you can't let it dictate your most crucial decisions. Surrender yourself to God and be a new creation through Him. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Psalms, chapter 101, as he begins his message, Danger of Anger in the Home. We have David telling us how he intended to run his household and also to govern his kingdom. But his home came first, first home, then kingdom. Now, I didn't know this till I was getting ready for this message, but Psalms 101 has been called historically the householder's psalm. The householder's psalm, the psalm more focused on the home than any of the others. Now, the message of Psalms 101 is simple. Godliness must begin at home. And a move of God begins at home. Our first duties toward God are those within our own house. If we don't have a godly heart at home, we're not going to have a godly heart outside of home. Now, let me ask you a, a million dollar question today. It's a tough one. It's not always easy to answer. How's your home life coming along? If we were to put a thermometer in your home that measured spiritual health, how would your home fare? Would it have a temperature? Would it be 32 degrees, God's frozen chosen living inside? Or would it be in triple digit, red hot, spiritual fervency doing great? Or somewhere in between or a little bit of both? What is the condition of your home, spiritually speaking? Is your godliness at home as apparent as it is in the church? Do you look as spiritual at home as you do in the church? Let's face it, nobody knows us better than the people at home, right? Commentator Matthew Henry writes these words, quote, do you sing in the choir and sin in the house? Are you a saint abroad and a devil at home? Guess what? What we are in the home is what we are indeed. I'm going to say that again. What we are at home is who we are indeed. Matthew Henry goes on to say, he cannot be a good king whose palace is the haunt of vice nor a true saint whose habitation is a scene of strife, nor a faithful minister whose household dreads his appearance at the door. As David longed for a visitation from God, he knew that a visit from God really needs to begin at home. We need God moving in our homes. We, we need revival in our homes. We need worship in our homes. We need the peace of God in our homes. We need the word of God reigning in our homes. We need the name of Jesus magnified in our homes. We need the homes to be places that the devil truly fears. That's what we need in our homes. 
David's prayer in a nutshell was this, God in my house, may God be in my house. Revival begins at home. If we're having a revival at home, if all of you had left a home this morning, all of us together from a home that was in revival, look what would happen in these services. Boy, we'd be in Pentecost immediately. Instead, we drag in and say, Patrick, you, you better preach me up. Hey, let me tell you something. God's about to invade our homes. God's about to invade our homes. David makes it clear in the Psalm that he was intent on protecting his home. He's very clear. He says in verses three and four, he commits to inward righteousness by maintaining purity of eye. He says, quote, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Verse three. Then he takes a stand against a backslidden heart. I hate the work of those who fall away. He says, it shall not cling to me. My heart in my home will not be a heart that is backsliding. I will have a fervent, true, genuine heart for God in the home when nobody's looking. When the doors are shut and the curtains are drawn, I'm going to glorify God in my house. Who I am at church is who I am at home. In verses five and seven, he focuses on the outside by resolving to keep the influence of unseemly characters far from his door. And he names them, the slanderer, the arrogant, the deceiver, and the liar will not be welcome. He says, none of these influences are getting into my home. In verse six, he commits to surrounding his home with positive influences, going so far as to only hire a faithful man to work on his property. He said, I'm only gonna hire the faithful of the land to work at my home. Of course, he didn't have TV where the slanderer and the arrogant and the deceiver and the liar comes into our living rooms every single day. I wonder what David would have done with a TV. I wonder what Jesus would have done with a TV. I wonder what the apostle Paul would have done with a TV or at least most of what's on it. That's free. I detest that box. Most of what's on it. In verse six, he commits to surrounding his home with positive influences. He says, he says, I'm not only the man of the house, but I'm the protector. I'm the guard. I'm the watchman at the wall. That's my place. And sir, you, the head of the home, you are the protector, the watchman, the guard. And if you've got a single parent home and, and dear sister, you're the one, you're the parent. You're still the watchman. You're the guard. You're the protector, not just the parent in the home. I tell you, the devil's trying to get into every house in this sanctuary. There are satanic assignments against homes, satanic assignments against marriages, satanic assignments against the finances, because the devil knows if I can destroy the home, I can destroy the testimony. We've got to understand that when we're a Christian home, Christian marriage, Christian family, there's a great big target painted on us and Satan's targeted us, but good news, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But we've got to get smart about it. We really do need to get smart about our home because that's where God wants to glorify himself. Why did, why did David care so much about the home? Because our home is important in every single thing in life. If we're defeated at home, we're essentially defeated everywhere. Because if you leave your home defeated, you drag it with you everywhere you go that day. If your home is full of turmoil, chaos, strife, 
criticism, no joy, arguing, anger, which I'm going to talk about today. You carry that ball and chain with you everywhere you go. It's on your countenance, it's in your testimony. It takes the, it takes the wind out of your sails and, and believe me, it's affecting you. And so we've got to win the victory first at the home, not in the church, but in the home. The church is just a bunch of families gathered together. The home is the training camp for our faith. It's the first place we learn to exercise forgiveness, patience, unconditional love, long-suffering mercy. Where are you going to learn it more than at the home where you live with people 24-7? You got to learn to forgive. You got to learn to be patient. You got to learn to deal with anger. You got to learn all these things. Now, as David resolved to protect his household, we've also got to resolve that we're going to watch out for the enemies that Satan has sent against our home. Now, some of the enemies and some of the issues I'm going to deal with are these, anger and bitterness. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the danger of anger. Next, communication breakup, communication breakdown, how to understand each other. 98% of problems in the home are communication-based. Looking at the root cause of arguments, I'm going to show you how to have a good fight. All right. And then I'm going to have, we're going to bury the long overdue, worn out past. We're going to learn to let the past be the past. Why? Because it's past. We're going to learn to leave it here and walk out and never bring it up again. Amen. We're going to learn how to not get historical and hysterical. We get hysterical, then we get historical. You know, you know, you know, but, but I'm I'm not going there because I'll spend all my time there and mess up today. So, but don't miss it. How to avoid going historical and hysterical. Now today, the danger of anger. We live in what's been called the age of rage. It is the age of rage, road rage, rage everywhere. Turn on the TV and watch the news. All you see is people offended, angry, walking around with chips on their shoulder, mad about this, mad about that, spitting, spewing, always mad, always angry, and that bleeds over into the home. Anger is one of the major sources of stress in the home, anger. In marriage and in the home, I really believe anger rivals lust as a killer of marriages in the home. Now, let me give you a little bit of a sense of relief. Everybody gets angry. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to get angry. Did you know that? Be angry. Gives us permission right there. Be angry, but sin not. Everybody gets angry. The Bible says we ought to handle it wisely. Here's what Paul said, quote, go ahead and be angry, but don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. None of us, if we heard a knock on the door and looked out through the peephole and saw somebody standing there with a gun and a knife dressed in black with a hood over their face, would we even think about unlocking the door and letting them in? And yet, when we walk around with angry hearts in our home, we're opening the door wide for the thief and the murderer and the liar and the killer called the devil to walk into our homes and wreak havoc because we're walking around angry instead of walking in the love and the peace of God. Paul says, go ahead and be angry. Just don't go to sleep on it. Don't stay that way. Because if you do, you give the devil an opening into your home. And we don't want the devil any more than we want a six foot Western diamondback rattlesnake in our living room. Do we want the devil 
to have a foothold on our home. Some people literally draw energy from anger. They walk around intentionally stoking anger because anger gives them a sort of an energy, a, a thrust in life. They, they live and they feed off of anger. Yet somebody wrote, it's tantalizing to feed on our anger, but in doing so, you are wolfing down yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Scripture identifies two kinds of anger that I really believe people walk around in their homes in, angry people. There, let me tell you folks, there's a lot of angry Christians. They love the Lord, but something way back happened. They got hurt, they got wronged, or they were around somebody that just walked in anger all the time and they learned their ways. And there are angry Christians. They're angry. They're angry in their home. They're angry at the job. They're angry driving down the highway. They're mad at life, sometimes mad at God. They, they, they lash out at different things, but the bottom line is they just have a spirit of anger that's operating in their life. Now, there's two different kinds of anger that operate in an individual according to the Bible. The first is a Greek word called orge. Orge means a settled indignation. This anger is the kind of anger that simmers beneath the surface like lava beneath a volcano that hasn't yet erupted. It's the type of anger that you find all the time seeking out revenge. I'm going to get them. I'm going to, I'm never, I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. I'm going to get you someday. I'm going to find you. I'm looking for you. And when they walk in the sanctuary, they get the eye <laughs> from you. Orge anger is the grudge holding, unforgiving, bitter kind of anger. Listen, you don't have to be 10 years old to have it, to nurse it, to rehearse it. That bitter kind of anger, unforgiving. Teenagers walk around with this a lot. Mad at the parents, mad at the authorities, mad at everybody, mad at life. See, what we don't understand is when we walk in anger, it opens the door for Satan to come in and lead us into things that we would never have done before. Anger is a, is a gateway, it's a doorway. And orge kind of anger can last a lifetime. There are people who live and die angry. They live and die mad. I've known a few. They've been mad all their life. They've never known anything else. They're just angry people. They're just angry. You don't have to talk to them long before it spills out. It just erupts from them if you talk to them just for a little bit. How sad to live your life angry, to live your life mad instead of glad, instead of having joy. And this orge anger one little thing that it pulls off is it leads some people into passive aggressive behavior. Passive aggressive, especially in the home, catch this, passive aggressive behavior happens when we indirectly express negative feelings, indirectly, subtly, instead of openly addressing them. We're Christians, so we can't be walking around erupting but we're angry, so how do I get it out? Well, it comes out in little, subtle ways. And there is a disconnect. If you live with a passive-aggressive person very long who's in passive-aggressive anger, there's a disconnect between what a passive-aggressive person says and what they end up doing. So in the home, a spouse pretends that he or she is not angry, but at the same time, they're venting anger in covert ways. It looks like this. He or she says, do you forgive me? 
Yes, dear, is the reply. Everything is fine. And they burn your dinner. I hope you enjoy this. I forgive you. Or how about this one? Are we, are we okay? Yes, they reply, I feel so much better. And then they don't talk to you for a week. You get the silent treatment. You get the cold war at home. Passive aggressive behavior. Because, listen, if you've got anger in you, it's going to come out. It's going to come out one way or the other. It's going to get out. The second kind of anger is thumos. Thumos. That's the Greek word. It refers to an angry outburst. This is the road rage kind of anger, the scorched earth kind of anger. If you're around me when I blow, you better pray because you're going to be scorched. It quickly blazes up and just as quickly it subsides. This person is a walking, talking hurricane say or do the wrong thing and the home is filled with the storm of their rage. The pets run and hide and the kids lock themselves in the bedroom. They know you. So you can either have, you can either have this simmering underneath anger you walk around with all the time or you can blow. But either way, anger is corrosive to a marriage. It's corrosive to the home. It's corrosive to relationships. And guess what? It's corrosive to your body and your life. Anger will ulcerate your body. It'll fill your stomach full of ulcers. It'll raise your blood pressure. It'll shorten your lifespan. It'll take your sleep away from you. Anger will destroy the quality and the quantity of your days. James said, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. The continual pelting of the raindrops of anger slowly rust away the joy and the strength of your household because there's somebody mad in there. Somebody that I'm really afraid is going to blow or somebody that I know is sending me mixed signals and is still mad at me. There's anger. There is a rattlesnake in the living room. There's anger in the house. Now, Here's the good news. The good news is that the causes of anger can be identified and successfully removed. Amen. Now, you're going to have to make up your mind. First of all, be honest with yourself. And are you an angry person? Do you blow easy? Are you always walking around ticked about something, mad, simmering underneath? Well, let me give you two main causes for anger in the home. Here's the first one. Here's a big one. Are you ready? Not getting our way. Not getting our way. I think, now you say, well, that, I don't think that's mine. Well, hang on. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> Not getting our way. See, Paul said, when I was a, became a man, I put away childish things. But there are people who are 40, 50, 60, 30, ought to be adults, but they walk around with this attitude. Here it is. It's all about me. And as long as I get what I want, hang on, y'all. I haven't even finished yet. We got clappers. I hope you're alone. <laughs> I'm going to start over. Here's the attitude that these people have. It's all about me. And as long as I get what I want, when I want it, we're going to get along just fine. Now, what does a child do? I want my, and if I don't get my, I'm going to throw a tantrum. 
What's the parent's job? To teach them that that's not the way you deal with life. But sometimes that's not done. And so junior turns into senior and gets married and has a family. And they've only learned one thing. I get my way. It's my way or the highway. And if you don't do it my way, we got trouble coming. Let me tell you something. If that's you, don't get married. Don't do it. I'm not kidding. Let me give you a newsflash. Marriage and the home are not all about you. And you're right to have all your needs met. That's the message the world gives us. We're reading movie stars divorcing all the time. What do they say? Well, you know, it just wasn't meeting my needs. It just wasn't meeting my needs. It was all about me and myself and I. See, we have a Godhead we worship. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But the world has another one. Me, myself, and I. And they worship at the altar of me, myself, and I. But not Christians. And so the world gives us this message. If your needs aren't being met, it's all about you. You need to get out. And when our perceived rights are violated, I've got a right to this, a right to that, right to go here, right to do this, right to do that. I'm earning the money, so I've got the right to do what I want. We get angry. But the Bible teaches that life, marriage, and the home are about this. Learning the fine art of unselfishness. As a matter of fact, you want to get rid of unselfishness? Get married. Because it'll get rid of it out of you at warp speed. Or your relationship will be in trouble. Now, as a Christian, here's what it comes down to. The Bible says that our model is not the world. Be not conformed, put into the mold of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of the mind. What is the renewing of the mind? When you learn the way Jesus thinks, acts, talks, lives, and you take it onto yourself. The Bible says that our model is Jesus. Listen to what he did. Ephesians 5.25 says Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Gave himself for her. If Jesus had been selfish, we wouldn't be here. We'd be lost in our sins, going straight to a devil's hell. Probably wouldn't even be a world right now. It would have imploded by now. John echoed the same thought, saying, He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives, listen to this, for the brethren. Well, who's the brethren? Who's the closest brethren to us? Family. We ought to lay down. Wait a minute, that's not my philosophy. I thought they were going to lay it down for me. But no, to get rid of anger in the home, we need to learn to give up our rights. But I've got a right to that TV show. I've got a right to that meal. I've got a right to this and that and the other. No, you don't. Who told you that? Well, Pastor Jeff, now you're going into a zone that I don't witness to. (laughs) I want you to listen to this. Jesus is looking at Pilate who had said to him, don't you know that I could take you out right now? Jesus said, contrary. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels and you would be toast? 12 legions being 70,000 angels. 
70,000 angels and you, Pilate, would cease to exist. You would be an ash pile. But you know what? I don't. I can, but I won't. Oftentimes in life, we are taught to respond to difficult situations with anger. We are taught that if we want to stand up for ourselves and get what we deserve, the only way is to give in to our emotional desires. As Pastor Jeff explained, if you want to mature beyond always giving in to anger and build lasting relationships that will truly last, give your life to Jesus. He wants nothing more than to guide you into relationships that build you up instead of tearing you down. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We are so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Our world today brings many challenges to dealing with our emotions. Whether it's everyone else telling us what we can or can't feel, or the rules of religion holding us back, oftentimes it can be difficult to know what to do with our emotions. Next time, Pastor Jeff explains that instead of turning to the extremes of your emotions, you need to turn to Jesus. The more you give of yourself to Him, the more empowered you'll be to make the changes you want to make. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the series, Home Improvement, next time on Hardwired.